All right, how are we doing today? Guys sound awesome. So glad you're here to join us. If you're watching online, so glad you guys are jumping in with us as well. Um, About a little over 15 years ago, back in 1999, my family and I moved from Oklahoma to North Carolina, and we moved to Apex, and we bought a house over there. Now, uh, the story I'm about to tell you, it's okay to tell you that because we don't live there anymore, all right? So uh, we we bought the first house on the right in a cul-de-sac of 10 homes, and the nine other families who were already living there had already formed really, really good relationships with one another, like refrigerator rights. They could come in and out of each other's home. They were taking care of each other's kids. They were just looking after one another and had really, really good uh, neighborly relationships. So when we move in, they welcomed us right in, helped us unload, just you know, got us acclimated to the neighborhood. And it was something we were really looking forward to having that we had never had before. And actually, I think it was the first day or first week, somewhere in the first couple of days, One of the guys says to me, hey, every Monday night for Monday Night Football, we watch the game down at Larry's house. Why don't you join us? We're doing it. Even though it's the first preseason game, we're going to kick this thing off right. So come over to Larry's on Monday night. So I thought, this would be great. I'm going to get in with the guys. And you should know, as a pastor, one of the things I really try to hold on to as long as I possibly can is letting people know I'm a pastor, all right? So I play basketball with some guys. A couple of them just found out like a week or two ago, and it's been two years I've been playing with these guys, so, and I got a technical, but that's another story. <laughs> so, so I go down there for the football game, and I think I made it all the way to the third quarter when they had just been bombarding me with questions about what I was doing and why I'd moved here. And finally, they came back to it again. They said, listen, wh- tell us again, why did you move to North Carolina? I was like, oh, man. Well, I came to work with a church. I'm a pastor. And it was just like the conversation just came to a screeching halt, you know. And guys started leaving, and there's only a couple of us left in the fourth quarter. I was like, okay, this didn't go very well. Well, I had only surface relationships with these guys for several years. And one guy in particular, a guy by the name of Ed, seemed to actually take it a little bit further than that. And he actually kind of had it in for me. Like he went out of his way to make me uncomfortable. I'll give you an example of this, all right? So how many of you were living in Wake County in the year 2000, the first part of 2000, and we got two feet of snow? Do you guys remember this? All right, I think it was actually the weekend of the Super Bowl. We got 20, 22 inches of snow. And so I'm out there shoveling my sidewalk and my driveway with this plastic shovel I'd brought from Oklahoma with me. And Ed is down here at the end of the cul-de-sac with a snowblower. And he is blowing off everyone's driveway and their sidewalk. And he moved from one house to the second to the third, all the way around to the ninth house. And then he quit. And then he went back and he sat on his front porch and, and from the end of the cul-de-sac, he watched me clear the rest of my driveway and my sidewalk, all right? So he, needless to say, he and I did not have the best relationship. I thought, oh my goodness, I can't believe he just did that, right? So quick question for you, all right? How many of you, when you are wronged, right, you feel like somebody else has hurt you, you get mad, but then over time, you just kind of forget about it and you let it go? Show of hands, anybody you do that? Oh, wow, you, there's a lot more nicer people in the second service. <laughs> How many of the rest of you, the rest of you are like me, like somebody wrongs you and you don't just get mad, you want to get even, exactly. So on this particular occasion, that's what I'm thinking. Here's the question I need you to think about before I go on, all right? What do we do with those hurts and those wrongs and those offenses we believe have been committed against us? Here's what I did. I found a website that specializes in revenge. And... Uh, <laughs> 
It's called, you can check this out. It's called thepayback.com, all right? Thepayback.com. If you have little kids, don't let them go there alone because then you'll have a lot of explaining to do, but you can handle it as an adult. So you go to thepayback.com and they have all different kinds of things. Like you can um, send a package of dead fish, you can send wilted flowers, you can buy fake uh, parking tickets, you can buy a fake lottery ticket that appears to be a winner, and you can, you can even send anonymous emails and letters, all right? For example, here's one. You have a boss that you don't like. It'll say, dear, and you put their name in there, and then they get this message. It's not known what junior college you received your education from, but it's obvious you did not gain any schooling on people management. Your managerial skills are so poor that your employees are surprised that you have survived this long in the corporate world. Sometimes they question the intelligence of this company for hiring such an incompetent jerk such as yourself. And then they sign your name at the end and they send it anonymously, all right? How about this? You ever get a bad haircut? Like, we know who you are, so just admit it, all right? You can send them this message. You need to get your eyes checked, dear Barbara, you need to get your eyes checked by a licensed eye doctor because something's terribly wrong with your hand-to-eye coordination. Perhaps you have the shakes. I could have cut my own hair with a blindfold on and done a better job than you. And then they sign it your own name. So this was several years ago I found this website. So in the last couple of weeks, I'm thinking about this message, I like, I'm gonna go see if it's still there. So I went back, it's still there. And what I found was there's a new, like there's a new thing you can get. It's called the spoof card, all right? And so the spoof card is basically this, is that um, you can call someone and you can fake out their caller ID and then they won't know it's you calling and you can actually make your voice appear to be like the voice of someone else. It's actually pretty awesome. I haven't tried it, but it looks awesome. So you got a neighbor who has, a re- like has really ugly lawn decorations or they're just kind of leaving seasonal things up too long. You're a Duke fan, they got Carolina stuff or the opposite way. You can call them, like make it sound like you're the police and order them to clear all these things off of their lawn. It sounds pretty cool, doesn't it? So now you got some ideas, all right? Now, now that things are working for you, the truth is that somebody in your life has really wronged you, haven't they? And it might have been really small, and then over time, small things became really big things. Or maybe it just started off as a really big thing, and it was obvious, and everybody, everybody saw it, and they knew about it. And it could be a parent, it could have been a boss, it could have been a spouse, it could have been a neighbor, it could have been a friend, and uh, somebody invested for you, and they lost, or someone in a relational kind of world, right? You're single and you want to be married and it hasn't happened for you or you're married and somebody hurt you, you got traded in, somebody betrayed you in your life, somebody hurt you and broke a confidence or it could be something related to what we've talked about in this series, you suffered an abuse of some kind. And the question is, what do we do with bitterness? Like what do we do with that? Because the truth is, bitterness has the potential to become a monster, not just in your life, but reaching out into everyone else's life and situation as well. So the past few weeks, we've looked at some really, really big monsters. We've looked at shame, we've looked at abuse, we've looked at depression, last week addiction. Today, the monster I wanna talk about is bitterness. 
I want to make sure that you get a Bible in your hand, so just raise it. Our ushers will come down and give you one. It's yours to keep if you don't have one. You can just borrow it for the morning, or you can watch the screens over here as well with the scriptures that we'll be looking at. So as we're doing that, I just want to be clear, and we've said this every week, that the things that we're talking about here cannot be solved in 30 minutes. So it's going to raise some important things for you to deal with, and I hope that you'll do the really hard work to do that. One of the things you should do is go on the website, lifepointchurch.com monsters. You can listen to or watch any of the messages from the series. You'll find a list of additional reading per each topic. You can actually get a list of counselors that we recommend. And so maybe do some additional work and uh, take advantage of those. The other thing is ultimately what, we're be, what we've been saying is just as when you were a kid and you had a monster, the way to kind of make that monster go away was to turn on the lights. That's what we want to do each week is just kind of throw a light on the subject, and we believe that God is light, so we want to bring these things into the light. All right, we're going to read from the book of Ephesians. If you're new to Bible study, just open up to the middle. You'll probably find Psalms. Turn right, you'll come to Jesus. Keep going a little further right, and you'll come to a series of short books. One of them is Ephesians. Now, you have to understand, Ephesians is written by a guy named Paul. He used to persecute Christians, then he became one, and then he spent the last few years of his life on the other end being persecuted by the Roman government. So we're just going to read a couple of statements that he writes, Ephesians chapter 4. Now, read this with me if you would, all right? I'm going to read the first word and then you guys read it aloud. Can we handle that? Here it is. Get. All right, let's give it one more good try, all right? Here we go. Get. He, he just says it so matter-of-factly, doesn't he? Like it's just a simple thing. Hey, stop doing this, move on in your life. Now, I don't think it's quite that. It's like if you go to a counselor for him. You sit down on the couch and they say, all right, tell me what the problem is. And you roll out this elaborate thing that's happened in your life and pour out all the details. And then they were to look at you and say, wow, you need to stop that and do that. 120 bucks, pay at the counter. I, I, listen, I have a doctor friend, all right? He's an orthopedic surgeon. And so I go to him for free advice on the front end when anything's happening for me physically. And I'll say, you know, this, it really hurts right here, especially when I do this. What does he say? Don't do that. <laughs> and, and I'll say, well, you know, that's just really not that helpful. And it's really not that easy, is it? So to give some explanation of what Paul is saying here, I need you to kind of go on a journey with me for a couple of minutes, all right? The word bitterness requires a little bit of explanation to understand what he's saying here. Now, bitterness is what's used to describe a plant that grows these very deep, elaborate roots, extensive root system, and those roots become bitter, and so when they grow, they produce something that's also bitter, it literally means bitter roots that grow bitter fruits. I didn't make that up, all right? That's actually what the word bitterness means. And because that's way too long to write into the Bible, apparently, Paul says, let's just go with bitterness, right? So Paul's saying, look, get rid of bitterness. Now, that's not that easy, is it? Because of what we just learned. It's got deep roots. Now, the way bitterness works is like this. And if you paid attention in ninth grade biology, that's when I learned this about the root system. Roots do three things. They absorb, and they store, and then they grow. Absorb, store, and grow. So when you're thinking about bitterness, it works this way. You absorb a hurt in your life. You absorb an offense. You 
take something that someone's done to you and you bring it into you, right? Just store it down there. You were wronged, there's an action, there's a conversation. Bring it into your life, you absorb it. And then when you absorb it, it just, you store it, right? You take those wrongs that have happened to you and you just kind of tuck them away. Like a, a file cabinet or some kind of a hard drive, a flash drive or uh, some kind of a filing system. You just kind of tuck it away and send it deep into your life and you store it there, right? Now, why do we do that? Think about that. See, if you've got, um, you've got a, a basement or you've got a storage unit somewhere or you've got a specially marked box that you're storing away, why, why do we store things? I mean, a couple of reasons. One, because they probably had some meaning to us in our life. Or they were attached to some kind of a memory that we want to hold on to. Or probably maybe one of the most popular reasons is we might need this thing someday, right? And that's the way bitterness works. We do this with the wrongs and the hurts. Absorb them and store them. And we might store them for a week. We might store them for a month. We might store them for a year, five years, 10 years, or 50 years. Absorb those hurts and store them, and then they grow, and they grow, and they grow, and they grow, and they grow. Now, to maybe make this a little bit, uh, make more sense for you, six years ago, we planted a bush in our front yard. I've come to find out it's called a butterfly bush. And my wife will admit this. She's not here, so I'll admit it as well. She can't grow anything, all right, whether it's (laughs) inside the house or outside the house. And mostly we planted this bush to hide the ugly mailbox because I didn't want to fix the mailbox. So we plant this bush behind the mailbox and it it looks like it's dead. It's brown, there's nothing green about it, there's no leaves on it, no flowers, nothing. But over time it started to grow and it started to gain traction. And once it started to grow, it grew everywhere. It's growing over the top and around the mailbox and the mailman can't get in and out of the mailbox easily, all right? So he's sending us notices, he's leaving those in the box, he's leaving them on the door, he actually came up to the door and left a, you know, trim your bush back from the mailbox, you know? And so I said, why don't we just move it from there across the driveway to the other side? So my wife, Chris, and our son, Jordan, they dug this thing up, they moved it across to the other side, and we thought we had killed it. It, was, it went brown again, nothing green about it, no leaves on it, and I was like, oh my goodness, we can't grow anything. Well, it sat over there for a while and slowly but surely it gained some traction and it started getting green again. It grew leaves and this thing just kept growing. It grew so big that it was starting to move its way into the driveway and I would periodically have to trim it back so that we could actually get the cars in the driveway. This thing just took off. And then this summer, the city decides they're gonna build a sidewalk through our front yard and I'm talking to one of the guys out there and he goes, we're gonna, we're gonna take that bush out and throw it in the back of the truck. I'm like, no, you're not. That's the only thing we can get to grow around here. (laughs) Uh, You can dig it up, but leave it in the yard. He goes, it's going to die. I was like, just leave it in the yard. So two days later, I'm digging a hole on this side of the sidewalk, another relocation. It's a massive thing because the roots were so big in this thing. I could only actually plant half of it. And I get it there and he drives by. This is like three days after he's dug it up. He drives by again and he goes, that thing's dead. No, it's not, man. It is not dead at all. I know what this thing can do, all right? These roots are going to take off and one of these, it's brown now, but one of these days it's going to be green. I know it's eventually going to come around and we're going to see something. Why do I know that? Well, because those roots are really, really strong. You can't kill it. Someday it's going to produce something. That's the way bitterness works. It's about absorbing a wrong in your life, storing it away, and letting it grow. And eventually, it's going to produce something that affects not just you, but everybody else around you. Because those roots are growing deep into your life, 
they grow everywhere. Now, you know this, it hurts you, doesn't it? Bitterness hurts you. You know it's there. You spent time rehearsing a speech, haven't you? Like if you were to meet this person today somewhere in, the, in, in, in public, you, you know what might happen. You've actually studied some kind of revenge that you might actually go about exercising. And you know how bitterness kind of distorts your reality so that you end up spending a lot of time thinking about people you don't even like anymore. Now you've heard this before, and maybe it was about um, anger or a grudge or resentment, but bitterness is like drinking poison. You ever heard this one? Bitterness is like drinking poison and hoping the other person dies. Well, that's the way bitterness works, right? Because of its roots, it hurts you. And then one day when you're not expecting it, it shows up on the outside of your life because bitterness produces poisonous fruit. It hurts everybody around you. And maybe you've noticed this about yourself. You could take a quick inventory that maybe you're quick to see the bad in other people. You feel justified sometimes when you gossip about someone, ever celebrated someone's misfortune. Those are just a few small signs of bitterness. And other people know it's there. Now they can observe it and they might say something about it or they might just say something about it under their breath, but they would say things like this. Oh, oh, why are you so critical? Or why do you get so angry? Or why aren't you a grateful person? Or why can't anybody ever seem to do anything right when they're around you? Because bitterness grows, and when it grows, it grows in every direction, which is why, and some of you know this to be true, which is why you've carried some past hurts into current and future relationships, and you're hurting other people who had absolutely nothing to do with what originally happened to you, because it's been stored up over time. Now, read this again, the full sentence of what Paul says here, Ephesians 4.31. He says, get rid of all bitterness. All right, we know it's not easy, but look at the list it's a part of. And rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Now, if you're kind of my age, somewhere around there, you might remember like a little kid's program and they had this episode in there where they asked this question, which one of these is not like the other? So I'm reading this list and I'm going, all right, this doesn't seem like bitterness belongs there at all. But it does, it really does belong there. Because Paul's saying, look, this is really, really dangerous stuff. This is a monster type of language right here. But the reason it all gets included in here together is because it comes from the same place. It comes from within us, deep inside of us. And eventually all these things will show themselves. So Paul says, that's what you gotta do. You gotta get rid of it. You gotta remove it. And the question all of us should have at this point is, okay, how would I do that? How would I actually remove bitterness from my life? So Paul goes on in his next sentence, verse 32, and says this, instead of that, be kind to each other, tenderhearted. In other words, he says, just be nice to people, show some compassion. And then he adds this, forgiving one another Now let me take it up another notch, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. You wanna get rid of bitterness in your life? It ends, what Paul is saying here, when you forgive other people. Specifically, when you forgive other people just as God has forgiven you. Now we've been giving you a a simple sermon and a sentence. And I think this one will be easy for you to remember today, all right? Here's kind of the whole message boiled down to one sentence, it's this. I remove bitterness when I respond with forgiveness. I remove bitterness when I respond 
with forgiveness. That's Paul's solution here. Now, one day Jesus is teaching, all right? He's got his disciples here, and the subject of forgiveness comes up. And Peter, who's trying to get a grasp on this thing, he's like, all right, I kind of get it, but Jesus, I don't know. I don't know if I can do it exactly the way that you're talking about. So Jesus decides to tell this story, and I think it will probably better explain this sentence right here than maybe I can. You can go back and read this later. It's in the book of Matthew, chapter 18. But here's kind of the story that Jesus tells. It goes like this. He says, there's a king who wants to balance his books. And so he has a servant brought in that owes him millions of dollars. He's never going to be able to pay it back. He knows he can't pay it back. The king knows he can't pay it back. There's no such thing as a lottery system at this time where he's going to hit it big and just magically have a bunch of money. And so the king brings him in. He's about to sell the guy off and everything that he has. He's going to cut his losses and make anything he possibly can off of this guy and then send him to prison. When the man falls down on his knees, he begins begging and pleading and asking the guy to give him some time and maybe he can pay it back. He's crying. Now, he can't do that. But the king looks at the guy in essence and says, listen, there's no crying in front of the king. But here's what I can do. You read this in verse 27. He says, then the master was filled with pity for him and he released him and forgave his debt. Well, the servant, he, he picks himself up, up, up off the floor. He's elated, right? He walks outside with all of his debt forgiven and he immediately runs into a coworker. And when he sees this guy, he's reminded, oh, that guy owes me a couple hundred bucks. And so he starts pressing the guy a little bit. He grabs him by the throat and he begins to demand that he pay him back what he's owed. And the man's saying, look, give me a little bit of time. I think I can pay you back. And in the exact same way, he falls to his knees. He begins crying. He begins begging. He begins pleading with the man for more time. I promise to pay you back. But instead of showing him mercy, Jesus says it this way, he wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested, put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. Now, everybody else is watching this take place. They know, what, they know what the king did for this guy, and then they saw him come back out again and do this to this man right here and make him pay back this debt. So they decide to go tell the king what's happened, and the king's not happy at all. <laughs> so he calls the servant back in a second time. He's standing there before the king. The king's saying, look, what happened, man? I forgave you this tremendous debt, but then you went right back out and you put it to this guy. He says this in verse 33, shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? And the king had him sent to prison and tortured. Now, if you've read this story or you've heard it to this point, the obvious question every single one of us should have at this point is, why didn't the servant who had been forgiven millions of dollars by the king turn around and forgive his coworker who owed him a couple hundred bucks? I mean, why doesn't he do that? Well, I guess for the same reason, maybe we don't do it. <laughs> I mean, if you're really, really honest about it, most of us would admit this, but not forgiving someone actually feels pretty good, doesn't it? I mean, physiologically, brain researchers ha are telling us that not forgiving someone, holding on to that grudge and looking for revenge can oftentimes have the same effect on you as drugs do for many people. It just, it makes us feel really good. Those thoughts of retaliation feel pretty good. I mean, think about this image in your head, right? I mean, don't you feel better when you're having an imaginary argument with someone? 
I mean, they've hurt you and offended you and wronged you. Can you not picture, I mean, picture this for a second. You drive over to their house, you're rehearsing your speech the whole way and how it's going to go down. You're pretty calm, you're collected. You get to the door, your voice starts to rise a little bit. Things start to escalate, right? You're winning the argument. Before you know it, you're standing up on a table wielding a butter knife like Rambo and you're looking down on them and there's a whole crowd is gathered now to see what's happening and everybody's yelling, finish him, right? I mean, that, that feels really good, doesn't it? Because I'm winning. You hurt me. I'm right, you're wrong. I'm good, you're bad. And now you owe me, I'm paying you back. I mean, that feels pretty good. But notice a few things from this story, all right? First off, the king actually has a choice. So does the servant. The choice is to make them pay back the debt or to actually forgive the debt. And the choice is centered around this question, right? What do I do with those debts? What do I do with those debts? Now, one option is certainly to make someone pay you back. When someone hurts you, when someone offends you, when someone wrongs you, a debt is created. Somebody owes There's now a debt to debtor kind of relationship. That's why we say things like this. You owe me an apology. Or I'm going to pay you back. I'm going to get even. There's a debt to debtor kind of relationship. And it's true, isn't it? I mean, it's true. They've offended us. They've hurt us. They've embarrassed us. They've rejected us. These people owe us. And we have a legitimate case against them. Here's how I know that's true. Because you have a story, don't you? And if we gave everybody two minutes to walk up here on the stage and tell their story, all of us would go, yeah, okay, you you got a case, all right? You got a story, man. That's a legitimate story right there. And so a transaction has to take place, right? Because there are some people in your life who are really hard to forgive. And so something needs to be transferred from them who hurt us over to us who was hurt. And here's Jesus going, wait a second. Payback is one way but you could actually make a choice to not demand payback because another way is to resolve the debt by choosing to cancel it. Now, big pushback, I understand that because I can hear you saying this, you have no idea what's been done to me. I, I get that. You have no idea what's been done to me. Canceling it would be like giving them something they don't deserve. It would be like saying what they did was okay. And I'm not saying that at all. This is graduate level stuff that Jesus is talking about here, all right? Yes, forgiveness, it's a gift. The other option, you can absorb that bitterness, you can store it, and you can let it grow. Remember our our sentence, all right? I remove bitterness when I respond with forgiveness. In other words, when you choose to forgive, you're saying to somebody else, there's no way you could ever pay me back. I know that, and you know that. You can't pay me back for the time, for the money, for the heartache, for the loss, but I'm going to give you a gift, and I'm going to say to you, you don't owe me anymore. I'm canceling that debt. Now, Jesus, all right, he finishes the story this way. In other words, he's saying, all right, I'm going to give you the secret to the whole thing, and here's the way he ends this story. That's what my heavenly father will do to you. Now, again, he's referring back to the king. Second time he brings the servant in and he's sentencing him. That's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. Now, I don't claim to understand how all this works, but I think Jesus is establishing a link between our forgiveness of other people 
with God's forgiveness of us. You mean, however I forgive people, that's how God's gonna forgive me, really? I think he's saying yes. Cancel the debts you have against other people who have wronged you, or I will make you pay me what you owe. And that's a debt you cannot repay. Let me make this really, really easy for you to understand. Practicing is another thing, all right? Let me make this easy for you to understand. You don't give someone forgiveness because they deserve it. You forgive people because you've been forgiven. Instead of doing what you have done to me, I'm going to give to you what God has given to me. That's forgiveness. And this kind of forgiveness doesn't make sense, really, unless you've been forgiven. Now, Ed, who I opened the message with this morning, over the years, Ed and I actually became really good friends, believe it or not. And uh, as our relationship developed through conversations and a favor that he really needed and I came through for him and just what God was doing in his life, um, he actually placed his faith and his trust in Jesus and he asked me to baptize him and his wife. He says, it needs to be at the Jordan, man, because Jesus was baptized in the Jordan. We're going to Jordan Lake. It's like, <laughs> I said, Ed, the Jordan was a river, but all right, well, we're going to the lake, all right? That's, that's fine, we can do that. And he just started growing like crazy. You could see God just doing big things in his life. And he would periodically pull into our driveway after a long day of work before he ever went home and we would just talk about faith and the Bible and things he was learning and struggling with. And he pulled in one day and he goes, John, Today I read Psalms during lunch. I was like, that's cool, which ones? All of them. I was like, okay, so, they, I mean, he was just taking off and going crazy. Well, one day he pulls into my driveway and he looks a little down, like he's really been thinking about something and he goes, you know, I have a brother that I haven't talked to in 13 years. I think I'm supposed to find him and call him and extend forgiveness. And I'm going, yeah, I, I, I think you should do that. So he didn't even know where he was living. It took him three days to track him down in California, and he placed the call. Here's what it was about, by the way. 13 years earlier, when Ed's first child, Chad, was born, they had an argument at the hospital on what the name was going to be for the boy. Are we going to honor a family name that had been passed down, or are you going to choose to go another direction? And he went another direction. 13 years, they haven't talked to one another. So after he found him, he called him up and he said, all I did was extend forgiveness to him and ask for forgiveness in return. A day later, he's driving home, he pulls in. I'm like, listen, how, how did it go? Tell me what happened. He tells me the whole story. He goes, it was the best decision I ever made. I can't believe I wasted all those years. I don't know why I didn't do that sooner. Now, here's what Ed is learning, all right? Just as God said to him, Ed, you can't repay me for what you've done and you don't owe me anymore. He's able to turn around to his brother and say, you know what? You can't pay me for what you've done and you don't owe me anymore. Now here's the truth, all right? Ryan's gonna come out and play a song. We're gonna celebrate communion together. Here's the truth about the whole thing, all right? I have loaded up a mountain of debt against God and I've incurred it one selfish decision at a time. Every time God says, look, here's a good way to go, and I say, no, thank you, I'm gonna go this way. Every time God says, look, here's the right thing to do, and I say, no, thank you, I'm gonna do this thing over here. God says, look, this is the right way to live, and I say, no, I don't care how it works. Anytime I choose to trust myself over God, 
Anytime I try to get back into God's good graces, my way, not his way. Listen, I know that I owe God and God knows that I owe him. I know I can't ever pay him back and God knows I can't ever pay him back. So here's what God decided to do. Here's what he says, all right? My son Jesus lived a perfect life. He's gonna pay for that. I'm gonna settle up with him. He's gonna give his life in place of your life and I'm gonna consider the debts that you owe me to be canceled. You just accept that he's my son, that he's the way to connect back with me and through your trust in him, those debts, those sins can all be, they can all be forgiven. Now maybe you've never taken that step before in your life. You're still trying to pay a debt to God that you're never gonna be able to do. Because you don't know how much you owe, do you? You're gonna keep trying to pay God back for that and you're always gonna be doing that because you just can't do it. But when you experience that forgiveness, what we've talked about here today, you have to in turn give it to people in your life. So here at communion, here at the Lord's Supper, which we take every week, Ryan's gonna give us those directions in a minute. I think people are gonna come to your mind. I think some situations are going to show themselves. Could you picture yourself actually canceling that debt and at the same time be able to remind yourself, you know, I have to do that. Why? Because of what God has done for me. And maybe during this song, you'll find that forgiveness of God working in your life that gives us the power in turn to forgive people in your life.